0: Welcome to the Notespire Music Artist Impact Podcast, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. Here's your host, Nate Miller. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Artist Impact Podcast right here on Notespire Music Radio. I'm your host for this episode, Nate Miller. Uh, My partner, Paul Gibbs, will be back with us on another episode soon. But uh, I'm so glad to be back with you guys. It's been a little while since I've been on, on here. And uh, how are you doing? How you guys doing out there in the music world? What issues have you been uh, coming up against? And uh, what problems have you been facing? Let us know at info at com, And uh, we may be able to help you. Whether it's on this podcast or one-on-one training or any of the other services that we do here at Notespire Music, you can... Visit our website at com and see everything that we do right there. All right. Well, you're listening to the Artist Impact Podcast. And this is our podcast where we talk about the music industry, tech, news, tips, tricks, techniques, whatever we can do to help you have a greater impact with your music. And our target is you, the independent, primarily Christian musician. And uh, we just hope that what we, the resources and the information that we share with you, helps you to have a greater impact at what you do. All right. Yeah. So this episode, uh, we're going to have, we have a great article on the power and the benefit of memorizing your music. Hmm. And we're also going to have three more Christian music trivia questions for you guys. So let's start with those. That'll give you some time during the episode to think about them. Or if you're zoning out, not really listening to what I'm talking about, or if you don't find it interesting, you can spend the time looking up the answers on Google or your preferable search engine, right? Okay. Here's your first Christian music trivia question. Okay. Which singer, songwriter, and worship leader released the album called The Garden in 2017 featuring songs like What a Beautiful Name and Peace Be Still? Okay, again, this Christian singer, songwriter, and worship leader released an album in 2017 called The Garden, which featured songs like What a Beautiful Name and Peace Be Still. Who's that artist? All right, think about that one. All right, question number two. What Christian rock band formed in 2002 gained popularity with their album entitled Comatose And songs like Rebirthing and Whispers in the Dark. So, this one might go back a little bit, a little ways for you guys, depending on how old you are. The band was formed in 2002, Christian Rock Band, and their album Comatose featured songs like Rebirthing and Whispers in the Dark. What was the name of that band? All right. And finally, question number three Which Christian artist, and again, worship leader, is famous for songs like Good, Good Father and How He Loves? And he released this album, Love Ran Red, in 2014. All right, there you go. There's the three questions you guys can think about. Uh, maybe you already know all three. If not, um, give us some thought and, um, or look them up. <laughs> okay. So we're going to jump into this article we have today on the benefits of memorizing music. What do you guys think out there? Do you think that it's better to have your music memorized or are you fine playing? from a chord chart or a score now some of you you just play by ear you know you might have learned piano or guitar on your own or in an unconventional way not a classically trained way and you do everything um, by ear without music and you're probably like duh yeah i memorize everything because i'd never look at music and others of you you were trained classically you know you had been brought up playing off of the page whether that's a score you know a uh, piece of written music with all the notes on it or you learned from a chord chart and you're looking at the chords or also as a singer what about the using a confidence monitor in the back of the room looking at the lyrics or having the lyrics on a stand in front of you do you rely on that or do you memorize your lyrics and sing them without any reference point I think you know there's pros and cons to both I can speak from personal experience I know when I when I was growing up in school I played alto saxophone. So starting in fourth grade and all the way through 12th grade, um, I learned to play the saxophone from day one by reading music. You know, I had already learned how to read music in music class. But um, from, like I said, from day one, I was reading music from a book or from a page. And then finally in high school when I got into orchestra, you know, from a score. And then it was only then in high school when I joined jazz band that I suddenly realized I had no clue how to improvise on the saxophone. So I was in marching band, symphonic band or concert band, whatever it was called and uh, orchestra. And then suddenly in jazz band, I would be playing the music in front of me and then it would get to like a 14 bar, me- you know, 14 measured piece of the music. And it would just say improvise. And I had no clue what to do. And I had been playing since fourth grade was first chair, had private lessons. I just never developed the skill to play by ear because I only knew how to, re- you know, play what was written on the page. That was how I was trained. And um, it wasn't until I l- learned to play guitar, which I did learn to play by ear, even though I, I have a musical background, I didn't learn to play guitar from written music. So that I do play from ear. And so that's a lot easier for me to memorize music. Um, I can give you another example. In all of my years of leading worship, I played with a, a pianist one time, Linda Fisher. If you're out there, if you hear this, miss you, loved playing with you. Uh, Linda was a classically trained pianist and was amazing at sight reading. You could put anything in front of her, never saw it before in her life, and she could sit there and play it flawlessly, but give her a chord chart in whatever, the key of G, let's say, and ask her to play. She had no clue, no clue what to do. And I said, how can you play these amazing pieces of music? Sight unseen perfectly, flawlessly, note by note, but yet you don't you can't play a simple chord progression in the key of g she her mind just would could not grasp that that was not how she was trained, and I totally got that because like i said that's how i w- that's how I learned saxophone, and I had the same issue there, so if you are classically trained, maybe you don't memorize your music or if you i shouldn't say that, um there are concert pianists who memorize long pieces of classical music because they're not going to refer to the the copy on stage. So anyway, those are just some examples from my personal life. I can elaborate a little bit more and just say that, you know, I've been in several bands as well. And uh, the first band I was in, you know, we wrote all original music. We played some covers, but, so we didn't write music down. You know, we would usually start with a jam session, um, come up with interesting chords and progressions and things like that. And then of course the singer, he might write down his lyrics after he'd come up with a melody or something, but we didn't write out chord charts. So there was never music written. We just learned to play them because we wrote them. And um, yeah. And so I never thought about reading music for that. But then when I played in worship teams, we did have chord charts because, you know, we needed everybody to be on the same page. No pun intended. Um, Playing in the same key, you know, we had a confidence monitor in the back with the, the lyrics for the singers. And suddenly, you know, I do have a chord chart in front of me, whether it's a physical page on a stand or a digital music stand, like on an iPad that's attached to your mic stand. And I often found that as long as I had that copy in front of me, the chord chart, it was like a crutch. I would look at it, even though I know I knew those songs by heart. I could play those songs in my music room without any reference at all and have no problem. But come Sunday morning... When I'm up on stage, especially if I was the front man, the leader, and I have so many things in my mind, like, okay, what's the next song? Um, what's the transition? Am I gonna speak in between songs? Or are we just gonna go right into it? Do I have to put my capo on? What was that chord I just missed? <laughs> you know, viewing the room and saying, seeing how is the spirit leading? Do we need to repeat a chorus? There's so many things that are running through your head. It was so easy to get lost. And once that happened, it was like a train wreck. You couldn't figure out where you were. So you know, kind of felt relieved to have a, a copy in front of me, whether it was paper or like I said, digital. But if that was there, I found myself, I wasn't totally glued to it, but I was, I was checking it to make sure. And with the lyrics in the back, I can say like, I, I usually just needed like the first word of each line to know that I was at the right spot because I had those memorized as well. And then for personal songs that I wrote kind of singer songwriter type songs, again, if I didn't have a chord chart in front of me, I could just play them. I mean, I obviously, I wrote them. If I did play like at a coffee house or something, I usually would have a lyric sheet with me just because it was a lot easier to forget the lyrics for me than it was the chords. But I did make chord charts because I figured at some point for posterity sake or just for reference, in case like years down the road, I would forget um, what how to play these songs. I did create chord charts, but I found like, again, if I ever used those and had them in front of me, I would be glued to that chart. And um, I always heard this kind of, cutesy phrase that was that said in worship at least. It's about the heart, not the chart. So the idea is like, you know, it's not about getting the notes right. I mean, yeah, you want to play with excellence, but you don't want to be glued to the chart because you're supposed to be playing and expressing the lyrics that you're singing and the music, the melodies that you're playing. There's a meaning behind all these things. And like you can't do that if you're so mechanical and everything's about playing the all these right notes and everything. So again, that's my personal experience. I can definitely say the times that I was not glued to the chart or didn't have it, I definitely felt freed up, right? So for me, um, I'll just say in the context of leading worship, I found that if I could at least have one of the two memorized, either the lyrics or the chords, it was just so freeing because I didn't have to sit there and look at the chords going, you know, follow the chord chart while I was playing, I might have to look up the lyrics, you know, at least I had one of them memorized, or if I had the lyrics memorized, and then I could look at the chart. But if I had both memorized, that was ideal, because then suddenly I didn't have to worry about what I was playing or singing, it was just coming out naturally, and then I was able to express things better. My playing, my performance, or the execution of what I was playing musically and singing was much better, because then I could put feeling into it because I wasn't so concerned about the notes or if I was singing the right words or playing the right or right notes, I'm sorry. And again, I could view the room and see how the people were responding to the songs and just kind of gauge where is the spirit moving here. You can't do that if your eyes are glued to a chart. And there's also a disconnect there with your audience, whether it's in corporate worship or if you're performing, you know, in a band or as an individual artist, if your eyes are glued to a chart or to um, lyrics and you're not looking at the audience, you know, you don't have to stare at them, obviously. But if you're not regularly, regularly, that's a hard word to say. If you're not regularly looking at them, making eye contact, checking in with them, so to speak, you're you're missing a great opportunity to um, really engage with your crowd. So uh, yeah, so I would say personally, I have seen the benefit in memorizing music. Maybe some of you have too. So we're going to look at this article. The author obviously sees a benefit. Um, His conclusion is kind of this. He says, being able to read music is a worthwhile skill and notable achievement as a musician. Right? So like any of you that have learned out there to read music, you know that that takes time to learn all the notes and the durations and, you know, the the rests and everything and the rhythms and how that's notated in, in classical music. That's a skill to learn. But he says... The art of memorizing music is something that yields additional benefits. Memorizing a piece from beginning to end frees you from sheet music, tablature, chord sheets, or other encumbrances, which he gives examples like no more dragging that iPad on stage to jog your memory. <laughs> so you don't have to have a music stand on stage or an iPad um, so that you have you know a reference point. So obviously he's coming from the standpoint that there's a benefit in memorizing your music I would have to agree just from my personal experience, but I'm curious to see what you guys think out there. What has been your experience? Is it better for you to memorize your music? Is that a no-brainer for you? Do you just start from that? Or do you have a little bit of a mixture like I had in my past where some bands or some aspects, I certainly had my music memorized and never used a chart to other times. There was kind of always a chart there, whether it was lyrics or chords. Um, let us know. Email us at info at We'd love to hear your story and uh, maybe we'd even talk about it on one of our podcasts coming up. Use you as a reference for the, our listening audience. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and dive into this article and see what the author has to say for us. Be right back. All right. And welcome back. And you're listening to the Artist Impact Podcast right here on Notespire Music Radio. Again, I'm your host, Nate Miller. And we've been talking about uh, the benefit of memorizing your music. So we have an article here from Lee Purcell called Memorizing Music, Benefits and Tips to Unlocking Auditory Memory. Um, this was published on September 19th of this year, and uh, this comes from the, the Disc Makers blog. So let's see what he says. He says, um, the framework created by memorizing a song can make your playing more fluid and expressive, serve as a springboard to improvisation, and add to your overall confidence on stage. Yeah, those are all things that I talked about before the break from my previous uh, personal experience. The idea that I wasn't able to improvise on the saxophone because I didn't have my music memorized, you know, I learned I could only play what was written in front of me. And then also that idea of like being able to play more fluid and expressively or to sing more expressively if you're not glued to the lyrics. That definitely was my experience. And like he says, it's a boost of overall confidence. I think that's true as well. So what's this uh, this auditory memory that he's talking about? Obviously, that's memory of the things that you've heard, right? He says this is a very powerful tool. And he gives the example, like, have you ever heard of a jingle from a commercial that was from 30 years ago and you hear that playing in your head, right? Just out of nowhere. Maybe some of you aren't that old, but if you are, you can probably certainly remember things from that long ago, like from your childhood. Why does this silly little jingle from a, a commercial, whether it was on the radio or on the TV, why is that still stuck in your head? Like you remember that note by note, right? But that's the strength of auditory memory, he's saying. And harnessing the, that power is a technique for memorizing your music. And of course, repetition is what's needed there, right? That's part of the equation. Because the jingles that you remember so well, they were literally drilled into your head because you'd hear that same commercial over and over again. A lot of times on multiple channels, right? You know, if you're on TV and you're flipping from channel to channel, you see the same commercials. If you're on the radio, you hear the same commercials. And um the the repetition just gave the, the persistence of that gave birth to that earworm, right? That thing that gets stuck in your head that you can't get rid of. Now most of us, we didn't try to memorize that music. We didn't say, "Oh, I want to memorize this jingle." I mean, most people don't care to remember those. I mean, that's why they're called earworms, right? They're generally not a favorable thing. But he's saying like use that as an example. The repetition of hearing that over and over again was a powerful tool for you to remember it. So the way that you want to use that for your music is what he says mi- calls mindful repetition. So this is something that you purposely set your mind to, to remember, right? So that's a, a powerful way to effectively build, um, he says, a tacit awareness of a musical piece and to take advantage of what he calls multicoding. And that is the combining of several different sensory inputs to amplify your memory recall. So what is that? What is he talking about there? So that's engaging all of your different senses when you're learning a piece of music. So body movements, auditory inputs, your emotions, the surroundings that you're playing in, and all these things come into play to strengthen your memory. Um, The term kinesthetic coding applies to this. So relating music to specific kinesthetic sensations like movements, right? So for you um, musicians out there, That would be like the touch that you feel when you're playing an instrument. So for the pianist, those are your two hands, your ten fingers. Um, For the the, the guitarist, same thing. Your fretting hand and your um, strumming hand or your plucking hand. That kinesthetic feeling can be used to encode the music that you're playing and listening to or that you're trying to memorize and then reproduce, right? So he talks about several studies here, kind of gives like a theoretical background before he gets into tips that he um, offers for how to go about memorizing your music. So again, like I said, he's starting from the premise that, yeah, it's definitely a benefit to memorize your music. And so here's the psychology that he he has behind this. So he says, studies linking early musical training to changes in brain anatomy and function offer evidence of dramatic effects at both an early age and throughout long-term training. In an article in Psychology Today, Gottfried Schlaug, there's a great Teutonic name for you, who's an expert on music and neuroimaging and brain plasticity at Harvard Medical School, he put it this way. He says, listening to and making music is not only an auditory experience, but it is a multisensory and motor experience. Making music over a long period of time can change brain function and brain structure. So, you know, they're saying this isn't just about sounds that your your ears are hearing. Your entire brain and nervous system and senses are involved here. So there's a psychology behind the music that you're hearing and then also reproducing. Um, another one, recent studies in neuro, neuroplasticity as described in a TED talk by Laura Boyd demonstrates that there's a physical and chemical change in the brain that takes place during learning. So she says, remember that long-term memories take time, and what you see in the short-term does not reflect learning. It's these physical changes that are going to support long-term learning and chemical changes that support short-term memories. So again, um, memorizing music is something that takes time. You you have to move it from your short-term memory into long-term memory. So there's chemical changes in your brain that encode short-term memory, but it's the repetition of that that creates those neurons that fire together, right? You've always heard that. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Um, so it's these constant um, repetitions of actions, whether they're physical or uh, thoughts or just different neural stimulations. Every time that connection happens, it strengthens, and then those neurons finally wire together and bundle, and then that's what creates a habit. So, I mean, again, for you guys that are musicians, you're instrumentalists, whether you play piano, guitar, or anything... When you first learned an instrument, you had to think really hard about what you were doing, right? You had to sit there and think, okay, what what finger is playing what note? What finger is on what fret or what string? You know, and then the coordination—if you're uh, well, both a piano, a pianist or a guitarist—the coordination of the left and the right hand—that had to it was like painstakingly learned, and you had to do it over and over again, and you had to practice it right so many times before it passed from your short-term memory into long-term memory. And now, if you've been doing it for a while, uh, long enough, you don't even think about what you're doing, right? You can play and sing, and you don't have to think about that. You can look at a chord, and your hand instantaneously goes to the right position, whether you're fretting on the fretboard as a guitarist, or you're playing chords on the piano. So you see the music, or you see the chord, whether it's on the page, or it's in your mind, and you can just instantaneously play that chord. But that took time, right, to encode that into your long-term memory. So Laura Boyd, she goes on to emphasize the value of practice, this repetition, right? In enhancing neuroplasticity. And here's another quote from her. She says, nothing is more effective than practice at helping you learn. And the bottom line is you have to do the work, right? There's no shortcut. We always hear this from people when you ask them, what's the secret to success? And they're like, there is no secret. It's hard work. You just got to, you know, you can work smarter, not harder. I get that. You know, there's shortcuts in that way, but you can't get these things easily without putting in the in the labor the hard work whatever it goes into learning these things these skills whether it's playing an instrument or singing or whatever you have to create these habits and this practice and this repetition in order to make it automatic and memorizing music is the same way so she continues in this quote in fact my research has shown that increased difficulty this is interesting increased struggle if you will during practice actually leads to both more learning and greater structural change In the brain. So that's really interesting. So, something that's simple, that doesn't really challenge your brain, is actually not as effective, she's saying, as something that challenges you, is a little bit difficult. That makes your brain work harder, maybe makes it look at things in a different way. And that's actually better for you to learn and memorize things. So, she notes that there's no one size fits all approach to learning. I mean, obviously, that makes sense. We're all different, we all learn in different ways. And there's no recipe for learning. And she sort of blasts the notion that it just takes 10,000 hours of practice to master a new motor skill. She says, quote, it's not that simple, right? Um, I don't know. I guess many of you have probably heard that figure that's been thrown around, right? Like the 10,000 hours to master a certain skill. I think that was Malcolm Gladwell that talked about that. Um, His research, he found that in general, most people had to work at something or practice something roughly like 10,000 hours. And then once they did that, they kind of mastered that skill or acquired that skill. I think that's probably generally true. I mean, his research that bore that out. But like she's saying, it's not that simple. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. That doesn't mean that that's going to work for everybody. There are some people that would get it in less. Maybe someone that could get it in 5,000 hours, depending on what the skill is. Or somebody that might take twice as long, 20,000 hours. So while it's a general rule of thumb, you know, a good way to look at it, like basically 10,000 hours is the average that it takes to learn a skill. That's not necessarily for everybody. So there's different areas of the brain that are involved in music creation and appreciation. Another neuroscientist and musician named Alan Harvey described the divisions this way in another TED talk called uh, Your Brain on Music. And this is what he said. When we look at areas in the brain that are active when we process language or music, there are some areas of overlap which suggests to many that perhaps language and music evolved from a common precursor. We can call this a musa language or a proto language. But there are also clear differences. So in most people, language is processed on the left side of the brain, the left hemisphere, whereas music has a, ra- a more right hemisphere bias. Music also activates pathways within a com- a complex structure called the limbic system. The limbic system is buried beneath the surface of the brain. It's involved in learning and memory and also our emotional responses. Music also activates a reward center buried deep in our brain, a reward center that is also stimulated by other pleasurable activities like eating chocolate or having sex, not necessarily in that order. But music does more than just make you feel good. Music also activates regions in the front part of the cortex that are also activated when you perform cooperative altruistic acts. Okay, wow. That was a huge quote, and there's a lot in there, so let's unpack that a little bit. So I think this is interesting. Again, he's looking at the research of neuroscience, like brain scanning and brain application and functioning, and saying that they found an interesting correlation between the areas of the brain that process language and music which is pretty interesting because, like he said, language generally is processed on the left side of the brain, the the hemisphere that is um, generally in charge of logic. But music is more of a creative aspect or a creative activity, and so that's generally going to be governed by the right hemisphere. But apparently there's certain areas of the brain that light up for both. So there's a crossover there. So it's interesting because, you know, I've always heard that music is mathematical, right? You can reduce it to... Numbers and math because you're talking about intervals and, you know, vibrations of different frequencies. And, like, there's so many books and resources out there that have explained the mathematics behind music. And that's why you can have, like, music theory, right? Explaining how music works. Language? Yeah, language is just different to me. But, again, like, the research that they're talking about says that there's a little a bit of overlap but also differences so that makes sense but it's interesting he he pointed out here the limbic system is pretty important when it comes to music and he talked about how like this is this other part of the brain that's buried beneath the surface it's involved in um in learning and memory but also emotional responses so this is kind of like more of a primal part of your brain something that we don't necessarily consciously control right so when we're talking about the prefrontal cortex like conscious decisions and everything that's something that we have um conscious control over but the limbic system isn't so an example would be like something jumps out and scares you you know unexpectedly your body jolts right (laughs) or you might let let out like a little bit of a shriek or something that's like a kind of involuntary response or that fight or flight response that's kind of controlled by the limbic system and you can't necessarily control that um you can learn to control things like that to like not jump when you're scared but there's natural responses that you don't necessarily consciously control and it's interesting that music is um that this limbic system is involved in music because i mean how how many of you out there have listened to a piece of music that just moved you so emotionally right you listen to a beautiful piece of music and it can it can actually bring you to tears or i mean how many people that go to the gym and work out We'll listen to certain music that just gets them pumped up, right? Motivated and everything. Music has, it definitely has a huge impact on our emotions, doesn't it? There's really something to that. So that must be where this limbic system is involved. And it's really interesting to see how God has designed our brains to work that way. But this last, the last part of this quote, this last sentence really intrigues me here where he talks about like, you know, music's not just about feeling good not only makes you feel good, but it activates regions in the front of your brain that are activated when you perform, he says, cooperative altruistic acts. So you know that great feeling that you get when you do something good for somebody, like when you help them or you do something and they're just so grateful and it just makes you feel good that you were able to touch another person to help them to make a difference, right? He's saying that same part of the brain is activated when you're playing music. That's that's crazy. I, I don't know. I'd never thought about that before. I, it kind of makes sense, but I'm really intrigued by that and want to look into that a little bit more. That's really interesting. So I would definitely encourage any of you guys that are out there that are interested in like how the brain processes music or how music affects the brain, look into that. There are so many great resources out there, both in book form. And videos you can find online on YouTube and elsewhere. We can't really delve into that in this particular podcast. Maybe we can talk about that on another one. Uh, we just don't have time to look at that. But yeah, there's a lot of great stuff out there, research that's been done and stuff that's been written. If you're interested in that, it's a really fascinating subject. And I think it can only help to enhance what you're doing. It's kind of like learning how um, how um your body works and your brain works and and how it works together with music. And that's just going to help to enhance what you're doing. So again, this article kind of starts out with this sort of theoretical background. Um, he's looking at the neuroscience and the brain activity that's involved in music. And the like he said, not necessarily specifically about memorizing music, but the way that the brain is involved with music. So there's obviously connections there. And again, he's starting from the premise that is, there's definitely a benefit to memorizing your music. Right. It frees you up to be expressive and um, to improvise and to connect with not only the music that you're performing, but with the people that you're performing for just so many different ways. So the last half of this article then is several tips that he gives on how to go about memorizing your music. So if you've already done that or if that's all you do, you're probably like, "Ah, you know, what's the big deal? That's just what you do. Like I gave you examples earlier, you know, but myself when I learned from day one reading from the page, and then my friend Linda who was a classically trained pianist who could only play what was written in front of her. It not everybody has that gift, you know. those are different skill sets completely. I didn't believe that at first, but I saw it firsthand, and um it's true. I I totally believe that there are some people who just haven't learned to do that, and I think it's a skill that everybody can learn. So. He's going to give a couple of tips here. How do you go about memorizing your music? You know, if you're like, I want to make that leap or, you know, if you know that again, you know, you can do it. I know I can do it <laughs> even though I will rely on the chart. If it's in front of me, I know I can memorize music because I've done it before. So I know the, ben- the benefits there. I know the abilities there. Um, I just have to push myself to do it. So how do we go about doing this? All right. He says, use multi-coding to engage a full range of senses. All right. What's this multi-coding? We talked a little bit about that before. So you want to engage multiple senses during your memorization routine to make the musical passages easier to retrieve. So again, the more senses that you can use and involve, the easier these connections are going to be to remember your music. So be mindful of how certain passages make you feel. Again, engaging those emotions that come out that are tied to those different um, melodies and things. When you have that feeling, that's going to help you to remember the music, right? Picture the, mo- the movements of the notes on the sheet music. You know, he says the crests and the troughs. So look at the intervals of the notes going up and down and everything, picturing those so you have that visual cue of the melody if it's going up or down or the chords and everything, the the cadence of the chord progression. If you can visualize that, that's another way to help. Think of your finger movements on the piano keyboard or on the guitar fretboard as you play. So there's that kinesthetic part again. Play the piece in your mind. Visualize it. Imagine yourself playing with the instrument in your hand and tap into those emotions and visual images when they come to mind so that you hear various parts of the music. So again, he starts off with this kind of multi-coding, using these multiple senses, and the more of them that you can use and combine and coordinate, the easier it's going to be to memorize the music and then to reproduce it. All right, the next tip he gives is chunking. (laughs) So what's that? He says, apply chunking to remember long sequences of notes. So, you want to break down lengthy or difficult passages, sections of music into short, organized chunks in a, an effective way to enable faster memorization. So, this is kind of like making, like when you set goals, right? If you have a really big goal that either is going to take a long time to get to, or if it's difficult and you think, well, I can't, I want to achieve this, but I can't do it. Well, how do you do that? You break it down into smaller pieces that you can achieve that will move you successively towards the end goal that is not you're not able to do whether it's just too difficult for you or there's the length of time so same thing here you you might have a large piece of music that you're trying to memorize especially if it's you know a classical piece so rather than trying to memorize the entire thing from note 1 to the very end chunk it take chunks of the of the music and memorize that small sections the pieces piece by piece That makes sense if you want to do that, break that down into like motifs or like kind of musical themes and uh, use those as small kind of like mini songs. And then once you learn each of those, you can learn to link them together. Um, He says some music coaches recommend starting at the end of a piece and working towards the beginning. So kind of working backwards. And he gives the example of uh, in a YouTube segment, Josh Wright details his approach that he uses on piano designating short sections and working from the ending towards the beginning of the piece. So I think that might go back to what, um, that Laura Boyd had said earlier, where it's actually more effective if your brain is challenged or it has to do something difficult when you memorize something. So it's easy to fall into the trap, especially if it's a melody that, you know, because you're kind of expecting what's to come up and then you you know, your brain can kind of go on autopilot or it's not significant enough for your brain to like register it. But if you're forcing yourself to go backwards, now you're not playing the notes backwards. You're just taking sections from the end and moving back towards the beginning. Your brain doesn't um, intuitively know what's coming up next. So it has to really concentrate. And so that's going to help boost your memory. Again, it's that challenge there, right? All right. So that's another idea. Um, Next one, build associations with the music as you play it. So sing or hum the music as you play and practice and create associations with the rhythm and melodies as you go. Be aware of the physical movements, so your fingers and your hands and your arm motions, sensitivity of the pressure on the keys or the fretboards. And throughout the process of playing, your mind is more likely to recall these associations than the names of the individual notes. So again, it's about using your different senses rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to play G, B, C, you know, like whatever this sequence of notes is. That's going to be a lot, it's less significant to you than, um, these different associations that you have these auditory senses senses, the the visual, the kinesthetic and all these different things. So you want to build associations with the music as you play it. Okay. Next is to tailor the practice routine to suit you. And I think that again, goes back to what she said earlier. um, in that Ted talk that there's, you know, there's no one size fits all kind of way for everybody. And he's sort of echoing that here. You know, if you're going to force yourself to perform practice sessions, um, and a routine, you, you at least want it to be comfortable, right? And, and you need to adjust your approach to one that's going to fit your schedule, your preferred methods of learning, and your personal inclinations. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, right? But being comfortable and being relaxed is going to help you memorize music much easier. You know, memorizing is already a tricky thing. So why create more tension and resistance <laughs> in that process by using um, a method or you know a system that just distracts you or discourages you from memorizing the mu- memorizing the music. So if you find tips out there, like even the tips that he's giving in this article, or you use someone else's system for memorizing and it doesn't work for you, you know, don't use it or use pieces of it that work and combine it with other pieces from other places, other sources that you've learned. Experiment, w- figure out what works for you. What not only helps you to memorize the music, but actually encourages you to do it. Because again, it's going to be hard enough to memorize music, depending on the length and the complexity of the the song that you're trying to learn. So why make it harder on yourself by forcing yourself to use these systems or techniques and tricks that are uh, tips that don't work for you? Okay. Sharpen mental images by working with larger source material. Okay. This one's really interesting. So this is, listen to what he says here. He says there's a connection between using larger images of music, tablature, or lyrics, for example, for memorizing your content, favoring a large computer monitor rather than an iPad or a phone. So this advice comes from Dr. Richard Restak, a memory expert and neurophysicist and author of The Complete Guide to Memory, The Science of Strengthening Your Mind. So apparently the mind does better recalling images that are captured from a larger field of vision than from a narrow visual focus. So is, I find this really interesting and it's very pertinent because like, think about how many of us now are on our phones, right? We're either watching um, videos on our phone or reading books on our phone or even a tablet. Like we're on this tiny little screen. And what he's saying is that the research actually shows that the larger the visual field involved in this thing, the better your, your brain is of remembering it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's like being immersed in the the environment or the surroundings rather than having it like in your hand, you know, you're, it's like being um, immersed in it or experiencing it at like in real life rather than a reference point. And I also think that's why there's still an appeal for people to go out to the movies, right? Like think about it. We have all these large flat screen TVs in our home, right? And you can watch something for free. Well, you pay for the streaming service, but basically you have access to almost every movie. Um, and all, some of them you can pay right away when they first come out in theaters. And you can stream them almost right away or almost immediately, but you know, before they've come out in the regular streaming services, if you have the right package. So it's like, why do people still go to the movie theater? But think about that the phrase to see something on the big screen, right? There's some things that just can't take, they just can't compete with seeing things larger than life, seeing these things play out on this huge screen in front of you. There's definitely something to that movie going experience that you just don't get no matter how big your flat screen TV is, right? Hanging on your wall. And it's definitely a huge difference between that and holding a phone in your hand and watching it that way. So I think that's a pretty good example of that, you know, that kind of makes sense in most of our experience. I mean, there's definitely a difference, right? Between watching a movie on the big screen and then there is on the phone. So it's interesting that this research is showing the same thing for, um, um, for making mental connections and things that you're learning. So again, utilize that concept. So rather than using a small phone, at the very least, use a laptop. Or if you have a large, if you have a desktop or you have an external monitor you can use or hook it up to your TV, the bigger the screen is for your music or your tablature or your lyrics, whatever it is, the easier it's going to be for your mind to capture it and to internalize it and to remember it. Really, really interesting. Okay. He's got one more tip here at the end of this article, and that is this, to retest and to persist. So this is going to go back to this repetition thing, right? Practice and repetition are inescapable elements of memorizing. I think we all know that, right? Um, the tips and techniques suggested in this article should hopefully boost your efficiency and finding the process that works best for you individually is essential, he says, rather than relying on brute force approach, right? I'm just like going to grin it and bear it. And just push through and try to remember, you know, memorize this, you know, however I can. No, don't, don't fight yourself. You know, like he says, don't use brute force, find ways to efficiently do this in ways that are effective for you. But you got to be persistent and retest your recall of the music until it becomes second nature. Like we talked about before, like anything, learning an instrument, driving a car, like when you first do it, you're thinking about every piece, every sequence of the of the activity. But after you've done it, like after you've acquired that skill, you don't even think about it. You can carry on a conversation. You can drive for miles and not even think about what you've done, you know, in that time passing because you've acquired that skill and you don't have to think about it anymore. It's subconscious. Um, The neuroplasticity of the brain works in your favor and becomes more capable as you develop new pathways and skills over time. And again, it's all about creating those habits, you know, creating those uh, connections in your brain Like they're saying through the neuroplasticity, getting these neurons to fire together until they wire together, and then your brain has acquired that skill. So he ends the article this way. Much of the current thought and research seems to converge on one point. Learning and memorizing music is a very individual process that's different for each of us. Experiment with different methods and see what works best for you. All right, so... Again, I I am really curious to hear your experiences out there, our listeners. Is that your like your go-to process just from day 1 whenever whatever you're learning, do you memorize it right away and don't even bother with the score or the chart, or do you only use uh reference material in front of you or is it a mixture? And also, are there memorization tips or techniques that you could share with the rest of our our, our audience that weren't included in this article? Or even just personal experiences. What's worked for you. What hasn't. We'd really love to hear from you. So that we can share that with the rest of our group. Here at Notespire Music. So email us at info at notespiremusic.com. Let us know your experience. And uh, we will, we would love to share that. With the rest of our listeners here. And uh, if you guys need any more help. With um, this particular subject. If you'd like to see us cover. Uh, more content in this. In terms of podcasts. Or even doing some. Um, videos on our YouTube channel, which by the way, is Our Music TV. <laughs> um, if you want us to create some kind of tutorial videos on memorizing music, let us know. We would love to put that content together for you if you think that would be helpful for you. If you need help for anything else in, in your music career, um, we do a lot of stuff here. We have a studio. We do songwriting and collaboration, um, music videos. We can do promo videos, uh, artist development, artist promotion, um, Content creation, all kinds of things. So visit our website at notespiremusic.com, and you can get a feel for the different services that we have there. All right, well, we're going to end this episode with those uh, Christian music trivia questions that I gave you at the top of the episode. So we're talking about memory. Did you remember what they were? Did you remember that we asked them? All right, let's go over those questions and see if you had the right answers. Okay, question number one was which Christian singer songwriter. And worship leader, released yeah released released the album The Garden in 2017, featuring songs like What a Beautiful Name and Peace Be Still. That was, of course, the worship leader and artist Carrie Job. Yeah, um, I don't remember Peace Be Still. I'd have to hear it again, but definitely know What a Beautiful Name. I think that one. I feel like I know I've heard uh, Yeah, I know I've heard Carrie Job sing and perform that one. I think Hillsong might have done that as well. A lot of people recorded that, I should just say. And that was one that I've done many times in corporate worship. Very powerful song. Um, I, I think it was kind of done a, a lot, but um, it, I, I still think it's a really great song. And I've heard a lot of great mashups with that one as well. Um, I think we would mash up, what was that? What a Beautiful Name with, uh, what was it Your Name by Paul Balash? Something like that. But yeah, Carrie Job was the name of that artist. All right, question number two. What Christian rock band formed in two thousand two, gained popularity with their album called Comatose, and songs like Rebirthing and Whispers in the Dark? All right, that band was the Christian rock band Skillet. Yeah, yeah, I know Skillet. Um, I know some other music. I, I might have one of their CDs. I don't remember which one it is. I don't even know if it was Comatose, but um, yeah. I think they've had a lot of great music out there, um, certainly in this genre of a Christian rock band there. And actually, I think the lead singer has a podcast out there. I've listened to some of them or watched some of his videos on YouTube. So he's out there podcasting as well. But yeah, 2002, I didn't realize that was when they formed. I was thinking they were older than that. But uh, I mean, older, that's 20 years ago. Anyway, (laughs) all right, that's the, the band. Okay, and then our third question is which Christian artist, and again, worship leader, is famous for songs like Good Good Father and How He Loves and released the album Love Ran Red in 2014? All right. You probably knew right away from Good Good Father, or maybe even Love Ran Red. That was, of course, Chris Tomlin. Yeah. uh, Chris Tomlin, I, he did not write Good Good Father. I think that was, was that House Fires? But he certainly made that song famous. I think most people, if they think of the song Good, Good Father, they think of his version. And I think I've seen him perform with the original songwriters. But uh, yeah, that was one of those songs, again, very powerful when it first came out. People loved to sing it. They still love to sing it. But it was, I hate to say, it, done to death. I, I heard it played to death. I I had to perform it way many more times than I cared to. And it just sort of lost its power after that because... Too much of a good thing is still too much, right, but I think it's one of those songs that's great to like table for a while and then go back to because you remember how powerful it really was in the beginning, but yeah, it definitely kind of ran its course, didn't it? But Chris Tomlin, I love you, man. You did a great thing with that song, but uh, I'm glad that you're still making new music since then because <laughs> we need we need new songs from you or from other people that you have taken and put on your albums, right, <laughs> all right. So those are our three uh, questions. Um, how many did you did you guys get? Did you get all three? Did you get uh, one or two? Again, let us know. Info at com. I hope these are fun for you guys. Maybe um, educational or informational at least. Maybe you didn't know any of them. I really don't know uh, what your your background is if you listen to Christian contemporary music, if you sing it in your church, or maybe you come from a traditional background and you're still only doing the classical hymns, which that's great too. I love the hymns and the heritage and the tradition that all of these modern artists, they're standing on the shoulders of these great hymn writers. So I think that's important to remember as well and to pass on to, uh, for the next generation to remember where we came from. So it all has its good thing, um, good points. And, you know, the Psalms encourage us to sing a new song to the Lord. So I think it's great to bring both the old and the new out of the storehouse, right? All right. Well, I want to thank you guys so much again for sitting through another Artist Impact podcast. I really hope this article was informative, inspiring, and also engaging and like kind of encouraged you guys to think about it. Um, if you haven't thought specifically about memorization, um, whether you're already doing it and thinking, oh yeah, I this is a good thing that I'm doing it, or you haven't ventured into that path and you think I gotta try to do this and see what it's all about. Is this really gonna free me up to be able to play and express myself much more e- more easily and to really worship God more effectively I think um it's it's hard to engage your heart soul mind and strength in what you're doing if you're glued to a page if you're thinking you know about what what what's the next note what's the next word I'm going to sing or play you really can't freely worship God with all of your being or express your music completely and the meaning behind the songs and in and, and the individual notes, unless you're free to do that. And you can't do that if you're, you're glued to a page. It's my personal experience and understanding. And that's what the, the article brought forth. So again, I hope it was helpful to you guys. And thank you guys for sticking around listening to that. And again, reach out to us if you need help, or if you're interested in knowing anything more about what we do and what we can do for you info at music.com or just go to our website notespiremusic.com we're on facebook and instagram and again we're on youtube at Notespire Music tv this has been another artist impact podcast thank you guys so much and we look forward to seeing you again soon god bless and bye bye thank you for joining us for the artist impact podcast a production of notespire music llc At NoteSpire Music, we empower independent Christian musicians to grow their God given music potential by refining their craft and extending their music ministry reach. NoteSpire Music, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. For more information, visit NoteSpireMusic.com and join us next time for the NoteSpire Music Artist Impact.